scream. <laughs> like it's such an amazing sort of Leia. Well, that's yeah. Well, R two's not there for that. Um, but R2 yes, is conspicuously absent. <clears throat> okay. So this is about writing. Right. Do you want to kick oh. us off, Shep, or do you want me to kick us oh, off? Oh, kick us off. Okay. Since, uh, so it was vacation last time we were with you. Is this, yeah, is I did that intro. You gotta admit that was a good intro. In my iPhone. It was the I longest was intro. Yes. Hey, welcome to the New American Storytellers podcast. I'm Shepard Dollars, and I'm here with Michael Hardin and David Altrogi of Vinegar Hill, and uh, we're back in black talking about the. Yes. We're gonna say that, but I am always here to steal your thunder. Uh, we made a movie in January called Twin Reflex, and yeah. a lot of you out there, a lot of you listeners, helped us make it. Um, Beef yeah. Kickstarter. We've been gone for a while, and we're really excited to be back in the saddle. Vinegar Hills, New American Storytellers podcast. So today's episode, we are talking survival of the fittest. Let the best ideas win. So we are we're back, and uh, we've we've sort of been we have been kind of in black for the last uh, month and a half. Morning, but not the end up for morning. You caught me red-handed, Michael. Oh, whoa. What have you been mourning, David? The, well, I was going to say, mourning the end of production of Twin Reflex. Uh. <laughs> so we all survived. Nobody got hurt. Nobody died. And so maybe our lead. So, well, our lead. Which we haven't heard from for a month. Jack. I, no, I've talked to Jack. He's doing <laughs> yeah. good. He's still, still We're all still us. friends. It's great. We are all still friends. I that's, don't think we made any enemies, which is always a good sign if you're making a low-budget film. How many people hate you? Because it's if a lot of people hate you, you've kind of failed. That's just a little side sort of tidbit. You know, your film could be great, but if you burn out everyone who works with you, you and f- yeah, fail. We'll probably be getting lots of letters after this, like from people who hate us, who are on the right. film, like Jack and you know, Emily and Hank are actors, being like, "Well, I hate you because blah." So, anyway, <laughs> so as far as we know, no so, one hates us. Yeah, no one hates us. We hate you first. We've got forty minutes of it, rough cut. Forty minutes of the film, yeah. rough cut. Only David's seen that. And Sarah, we believe. My wife, who I showed, and she loved it. Early test audiences are raving. Yeah, well, let, let me tell you this. My wife and my kids love the film. It's a great date movie. You should definitely go see it. It's, it's a little bit of love, a little bit of adventure, a little bit of a drama and intrigue. It's everything. It's a perfect family film. As Twin Reflex really will be the perfect family film. Oh, yeah. I can't wait oh. to interview the actors and have them there saying, well, it's just, it's just a roller coaster ride that'll just keep you back coming for more. It, it, there's surprises, there's twists, there's turns. It'll keep you guessing. It's a mystery, it's got a dark side, but it's also got a comedian. <laughs> and it's a lot of fun. It's just the scariest movie I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> always, uh, you know, I love how in special features they always interview the actors before they've seen the film. Exactly. Which yeah. is probably better that way. And then they say, like, what's, what's your favorite scene? Like, well, I'm not sure if it'll make it in the film. <laughs> uh, we haven't talked much about Twin Reflex on the show. We've talked a little mm. bit about it. We've we've it's hinted been a at shroud it. Shroud of secrecy. We've kind so of promoted it. We have, yeah. But there's there's a lot more secrecy to come. So uh, the, a couple of the exciting things about the film, and for better or for worse, you tell me when you see the film. Um, one of the biggest things was we did not have a traditional script. Traditional. Um, yeah. We uh, did have a script. Traditional. Yeah. It's. We did not have a traditional script. Now, most we've we've had a couple of little articles written about us and stuff, and everyone sort of interprets that as we had no script, which sounds like the worst idea ever. Which, and, which will be the be. rumor. Well, <laughs> right. will be the rumor that'll haunt us the rest of our lives. Right. And well, if the movie's good, it'll be the rumor that will make us make us famous. And right. if the movie's mm. terrible, it'll be the rumor that will haunt us. The rest of our lives. <laughs> Maybe they should have had <laughs> a I'll pull like Jack and Meg White and just keep a cloud of yep. lies. Yep. Uh, a cloud. Of, so we didn't have a traditional script. We had basically. 
what I've been calling a skeleton script. I don't think I coined that phrase. I think I heard someone else use that phrase. But it was a, uh, when all was said and done, it was a 30-page document that outlined the story from beginning to end. Um, it had some placeholder dialogue. Um, and she usually got sort of changed. Only or, one or scene a, did the yeah, did yeah. the dialogue <laughs> that was as placeholder actually make it yeah. in the film. And, and it was, that was probably the best written dialogue. Well, yeah, and it was, and the actor elevated it. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. it could have been horrible, but we had an amazing actor um, from Pittsburgh who, who elevated that. So we, so we haven't spent yeah, a lot we, of time telling we, anything about Twin Reflex. There's been the cloak. The there's yeah, been the cloak of secrecy. There's been a right. shroud mm. of. There's been a phantom menace, mm. and so I think it's it's time to start peeling off the layers of the shroud. So we should start. Where should we start? So we should start at the beginning. Yeah, we should probably start. Yeah, before we filmed, anything. Act One. Yeah. Well. <clears throat> so this the I guess the film started. Um, we had just finished up the cosmonaut. We were pretty happy with it, and this movie Monsters had come out. Um, that if you haven't seen, we talk about it a lot on the show. There's like two mm. movies we talk about on the show. Somehow we always mention Francis Ford Coppola, Steven Spielberg, and Monsters, and somehow Ballast. Usually those are about mm. the four things, and usually there's a hidden reference to Jurassic Park. Right. <clears throat> Right, or that's, Star, or that's for Star you to Wars. find. Right, that's for you to find. What well, they got in there? King Kong. See, you didn't even know that I was referencing Jurassic Park. It was hidden. It was veiled. We'll, we'll, we'll have coupon dad. See, right, again, again, I look at I look at this. We just had three clo- cloaks. Um, <clears throat> so monsters. This movie, monsters, which you should really watch. Netflix streaming. It's on iTunes. It's really rad. It came out. Now here's the funny thing. It came out, and it looked awesome. It's this science fiction about this guy and girl trying to get back into America, crossing what's called the contaminated zone where there's all these aliens that have come to Earth six years ago. Really cool story, really cool journey story. Now, here's the interesting thing. So I'm watching the making of stuff online. I see they shot it on the EX-1 with a lettuce adapter and, and Nikon EX3. lenses. EX-3. EX-3, sorry, they're the same. Really, is there a difference? <laughs> I mean, apart from... So they shot it on the Sony one's, EX-3. One's heavier. Yeah, um, and harder to use. So anyway... But the rumors start circulating online that they shot this thing for 15000 So immediately, my mind is like, this is so inspiring. This is, like, the coolest thing ever. Like, if they shot this for 15000 and it looks awesome, we can make a movie. And we just finished The Cosmonaut, or we're finishing The Cosmonaut. And so we started watching Monsters and, like, watching the making of stuff. Little do I know, this whole, it was a total lie. It cost um, probably around somewhere, I've heard the actors say, more than a hundred, less than 500000 which so, is where lies will get you. Right, exactly. So, but hey, it motivated us to get off our butts and make a feature for for very little money. Probably about a year ago, probably March, mm-hmm. April last year, we started thinking about it's time to make a feature. We had been it had been the thing we'd been talking about for since we started Vinegar Hill. That and movie never done. and we had seen before that um, Ballast, a film that won at Sundance and it has a very unique style that mm-hmm. is sort of very documentary and it's um, handling of the story and uh, the camera work and um, the acting to keep to give you this feeling that you're actually watching real life play out and it, it doesn't right. get in the way of the storytelling through lots of intercutting or or uh, close-ups of things and dolly moves all handheld it's stuff no and, cutaways yeah, non-actors kind of. in a lot of cases mm-hmm. so that and and all natural lighting, which was all natural, a huge which is a revelation huge, for us. Absolutely, realizing wow, we don't have to get this huge grip truck and a they gaffer. Had, and a they hole. said that they had like a Kino kit, but they 
they, they would set it up a few times, but always ended up turning it off because it just didn't look real. Natural. Look natural. Yeah. So that combined with monsters, because the, the thing that was fun about Ballast was that very naturalistic and um, very low budget, but embracing the, the fun things about low budget um, and not having it look cheap and telling a really compelling story. Um, and the sci-fi elements of monsters. Right. Also, on the cheap, maybe not as cheap as we initially thought, <laughs> but um, cheap. Be- being extremely ambitious and having a similar um, documentary style that embraced just the chaos of shooting mm-hmm. handheld and shooting on the go, and not, and most, most importantly, not having a script. Yeah, exactly. They had an outline. They had an which outline. They worked off of. And the, the actors, the actors were the driving writers in a lot of cases, exactly. like with the director. They were working really closely with him on monsters to come up with their characters and where they were mm-hmm. going. Which is something that I we really pulled for Twin Reflex. You know, I think we had kind of in our mind like the things that we had to have in place to make a movie, and we thought we had to have a lot of money in place. We'd have to have investors. We'd have to have some uh, amazing business plan, some amazing distribution plan um, before we started making a movie. And I'm sure there's a lot of people or some people listening who are saying you have to have a distribution plan before you start making a movie. You have to. That's a great you know, you idea. have to have a business plan. It is. But for us that was here's why we didn't have it. That was such a hurdle to us even making a movie because mm-hmm. it it was we just wouldn't have made a movie because we would have had this huge obstacle come up with a distribution plan and we would have never never actually got off our butts and made a movie. And also importantly for us in this kind of story, we didn't know what the final film exactly would be like yet. Right. So to try and pitch this kind of story where we weren't going to have a script, in or- to force ourselves to have an extremely locked script and to shoot that script rigorously would have killed everything fun about this kind of thing. Right. The- and it would have required a lot more money to be able to just hit exactly what we wanted right. to do rather than embrace the chaos of shooting in a documentary style and well, allow the editing process to define um, a lot of a lot of the film. Yeah. Well, what investor is gonna gonna say, hey, yeah, I'll, I'll finance your film. What's it about? And you go, we don't know yet. <laughs> <laughs> it has these different elements. But we'll take your money. <laughs> and here's a s- script that doesn't have isn't a script. Well, and Stanley Stanley Kubrick, and I think probably every filmmaker has said, but I've heard it ascribed a, a to Stanley Kubrick saying that the best way to le- to learn to make movies is just to make movies. Right. So mm-hmm. our thought was, look, we we have to make a movie or we're gonna die. And we can sit on our butts all day long and talk about all the reasons we can't or all the stuff we have to do. It would have taken us years to actually, if we had, if we had done the business plan, if we had done the, the distribution plan, it would have taken us years. And I, I don't think we would have made a movie. Mm-hmm. Rather than saying, we are going to start production on this film, and then as we are making this film, as we are um, making this movie... We're gonna learn. We're gonna learn how to distribute our film. We're gonna learn how this this business model. Now, mm-hmm. the 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 flip side of that is, we we weren't able to go to investors, so we had to, especially for the initial starting of the film, we had to we had to front our own money, yep. which which was an investment because it's we were investing in our education as filmmakers. Absolutely, you know. And was it worth it? Time will tell. Time will tell. Exactly. Well, it was so far worth so it. good. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So we decide we're gonna make this movie. And I don't remember how... Well, we uh, didn't decide we were going to make this movie. We, we, decided we decided we were going to make, make a, a movie. movie. Exactly, exactly. We decided we were going to make a movie in sort of the monster's ballast style. Well, yeah. it was a conversation in Starbucks. We had like three different stories going around. We had a lot of stories floating around. Originally... Yeah. Definitely a basement full of dead bodies at one point. Well, mm, I think that was my contribution. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it would be. We That's were awesome. kicking around a ton of different ideas, and we mm-hmm. had 
a lot of bad ideas. One was some guys hold up in a mobile home after a bank robbery. Right. Reservoir dogs. Yeah, of. sort of a, sort of just, because it was one location where, because we were thinking, you know, we wanted to do a feature, but how do we do a feature cheap and fast? Because, right. you know. So that was one idea. Um, and then we realized it would be way harder to do. Right. To have multiple locations. We had one idea that was going to take place all in a bunker, which we're still going to make that movie someday because it's an awesome idea, but we realized yeah. very quickly as we were kind of, Talking about it, <laughs> that there was no way we were going to be able to have an awesome bunker build. It needed like a, to be able to flood a Cold War era bunker that could flood and explode. But we were like, looking at locations. For we, that oh call. yeah, we actually were. I made some phone calls about that. Um, we were going to use Mike's basement for a little while. They'll come in handy someday. And then we realized very quickly, just there was mm-hmm. no way if we were going to do this as cheap as we knew we had to do it that we could do it. So, well, what's it, Mike? Do you tell Jocelyn's uh, contribution to this film? Probably one of the biggest ones. Real life forms the seeds of a lot of really, really fun ideas. Mm-hmm. And when you're just banging your head up against the wall, just trying to come up with something original, usually we just get really depressed. And so we just go back to what we like to do anyway as friends, which is just tell interesting stories of stuff that's been happening to us. Right. And so um, I think it was in that moment where we had sort of talked for a long time and just been burned out and didn't have anything else to say. And... <clears throat> I was reminded of an incident that happened before that my wife had told me about. An and instant? An really? I- an instant. It was an instant that happened. And the instant I knew was the instant that happened. <laughs> and so, so uh, anyway, so basically, um, some no. she had been coming home from work and a, a, a couple times in a row had seen um, this, her neighbor of hers, loading and offloading bicycles into the house or from the house into her car. And so she didn't think anything of it because she knew that there were multiple people that lived there. But it happened more than natural. And every time she looked at it, she noticed that there were different bicycles that were going and into the car and out of the car. And then she realized that the person that was doing the offloading was certainly not in shape and had definitely never ridden a bicycle. Like, she was not a bicycle rider. Um, Jocelyn's a bicycle rider. Her whole family rides bicycles. And they can tell. Uh, <laughs> so she was ed- instantly suspicious right. of this and came to me and, and mentioned it. And in an instant, I was also suspicious. And then in another instant, we talked about what will, what would we do? Like if we really, if we were going to pursue this, like, you know, could we, if we went to the cops right now with this evidence, they would laugh at us. What would we do to try and get a little bit more evidence to figure out if, if, and it was a pretty good bet because she knew that her neighbors were up to all kinds of other stuff. Were they running some sort of, were they stealing bicycles and selling them or pawning them? And of course, <laughs> that, when Mike shares this, we're at Starbucks oh, yeah. and all of a sudden, all of our imaginations start going like, what if, what like, would you find in the basement? The, the next thing, the next thing, yeah, because that was Naturally like, be the basement. we have to look in their basement right. to sort of see uh, if there's just like a ton of bikes down there or follow her and see where she goes with that bicycle. I mean, who puts a bicycle in the back of the truck anyway? I mean, just drive your bike, you right. know? Right. So where are all these bikes going? Where are they coming from? And so I really wanted to tail this this, this lady and see, you know? <laughs> see if she ended up in some, you know, darkened Walmart parking lot with another truck, you know, and exchanging, exchanging money or, bikes or a money. bag of, of contrabands. So we started thinking, okay, so who, we have this character, and he's, he's watching his neighbor, and his neighbor's doing some weird stuff. His neighbor's getting weird packages, maybe. So we start to kind of play, mm-hmm. play this out, um, and we're starting to get excited, you know, what, what, what is happening? So then, right. then you know, we're, we're talking more, and we're like, well, maybe he breaks into his neighbor's 
house to see right. what's in the basement. Like well, Mike what was would be about. the most terrifying thing to exactly. find in the basement? What would be the most terrifying thing right. to find in the basement? These are good questions to ask. And so, yeah, we went through the whole gamut of those things, right. all the obvious right. things, you know, stupid bodies. things and scary things. I mean, Shep had one idea Clowns. of you know bodies with like their chests ripped open, and, like right, right, organs, right. and right, I, right, you know, right. we had a ton of ton of bad ideas. And but one idea that that we had, which we can't share because it will reveal too much of the story, sparked what the film became, mm-hmm. what he finds, and and it's it's so cool how the story came together because we we decided we're gonna make a movie. We didn't know what movie. We start talking about it, and we're just—it was just this allowing, mm-hmm. allowing a lot of bad ideas to live, and allowing having that safe environment where where I could say a really bad idea, and I wasn't gonna get totally, totally mocked <laughs> and ridiculed. And, and it was also our love for sci-fi. Once we figured out what was in the basement, once we figured out what was in the basement, like that element brings in the sci-fi. Yes. Right. Just no, just yeah. let you guys know. There are alien babies involved. <laughs> if you've seen the movie Alien, it's in sort fact, of like yeah. Alien on crack. Twin Reflex is the prequel to Alien. It's the, no, it's a prequel to Prometheus. Prometheus which is the which prequel, is prequel to Alien. alien. So, so. Double the aliens. It's just <laughs> double the explosions. Yeah. Everything you loved about. So I don't think we had a sort of. I don't think we were thinking it had to be a sci-fi because all our other ideas. Well, we had were not... come off the heels of doing the short film The Cosmonaut, which is a sci-fi. Mm-hmm. So I think we were all ready to just try and do something different. But we came back to our. We first came love. back to sci-fi, which was which. So on different terms. So we wanted to do a natural documentary sci-fi, and monsters were, was our inspiration. Exactly. Which is a sci-fi. Exactly. So once once we figured out what was in the basement, which was a couple days, that's when the story mm. started to come together. So I went off and typed up like the first third, and I think on a when we were actually I could be wrong when we were coloring the cosmonaut. Mike, for some reason, Chef, you weren't able to go with us that night. Mike and I were driving to Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. and I pitched this the whole story to him. And basically, Mike's comment was, "Well, I love the first act, but everything else after that is terrible." Mm. <laughs> Too much. Uh, <laughs> the alien babies <laughs> had to Which, go. So, so um, at what point did we bring in Jack and Emily? Jack and Emily and were brought in. That's a good question. That's a really good question. I think. Pretty, pretty early. early, pretty early on. I think we wanted to make the film about Jack because we, uh, in order to do a film, having your actors be available on a moment's notice in uh, awkward times and not having them be paid to be able to take off work for months um, mm-hmm. means that you need to have people that are like good friends, right? Of yours, or and or good. willing to sacrifice and have flexible jobs. And so and we had and we and be good, obviously. So all those things worked in Jack's favor. Right. So, yeah, I think we brought, while we were, before I probably even pitched this, we brought Jack on. And, um, and he was game for anything. He was game for anything. He, <laughs> I mean, great. he was in The Cosmonaut. Emily was in The Cosmonaut. We had worked with Hank on some commercial stuff. So they, they were all game. So as we were kind of working out the story, like the story, we started working with Jack and Emily and Hank on their actual characters and mm-hmm. developing all the backstories that, that led up to when the film started. Because... Very early on, and this is where people start to think we're a little crazy, and maybe we are. I think our actors would say we're a little crazy. We decided that we, were only, we weren't going to tell the actors the story. We were not going to hand mm-hmm. them a script. We were going to tell them anything they needed to know up to the point where they were in the film. Right. So, like, we're filming it as their experience. Exactly. exactly. We, were, we were naive, and we were excited, and we were 
uh, ready for an adventure. Yeah, and doing something totally naive, different. And excited. <laughs> our first short was heavily scripted, and our first two shorts. And then our second short was oh, our first short, yeah, yeah, yeah. heavily scripted and dialogue heavy. Second short was no dialogue. Know, well, it was yeah, it was very yeah concept driven and mm-hmm. yeah no dialogue. And so for this one, we wanted to sort of we, need, we knew that we wanted to return to we didn't want to make a silent film, right? Um, but we were which won at the Oscars this year, so. <laughs> but because we hadn't really written anything for a while, we weren't really ready to write something that was Shakespearean, right? As a writer, dialogue has never been my strength, and I don't know if dialogue would be any of our strengths, like writing good I mean, dialogue. We can hardly talk mm. ourselves, right? So. I mean, it, but our actors love dialogue. Yeah, Jack loves writing dialogue. Yeah, exactly. And and it was the process that worked for this film. And I don't know if I would ever do it this way, exactly this way again. I don't want to say never. Was we were writing the script, developing the story. We knew big picture where we were going. We knew we knew mm. where it began. We knew. And we knew where it was going to end. Big picture conceptual. We had no idea how we were going to get there. Simultaneously, we were meeting with the actors, beginning to do rehearsals, beginning to just flesh out who their characters are, mm-hmm. um, which is really hard if you don't have a script because the actors are awesome, but they don't have anything to sort of guide who their characters are. So they'll come. They they we had some <laughs> them come with some zany yeah. zany mm-hmm. ideas, very fleshed out, very functional. Characters that were absolutely not at yeah, all exactly. what was supposed to be in our film. <laughs> exactly. But who they we knew did, their relation to each other. Yes. Like, we knew right that's, off the that's bat, important. Jack and Emily were going to be brother and sister. Right. Living together, and Jack was kind of a bum. Right. Living off his sister's money. And that Hank was going to be Jack's best friend. Right. So those relationships were, were the framework exactly. that they were going to work. And those, yeah, we basically we started with, I said, we, we, were, we said who Jack was. Very big picture, because we didn't know. Jack, the character of Roy, the main character, is this. Um, Emily, the character of Karen, is this, you know, psychologist, young, driven, motivated, um, sort of has her younger brother living, or her older brother living with her, and almost sort of there's a patient-doctor relationship between Mm -hmm. them, and then Hank, you're playing Dice, who is Roy's best friend, who's sort of his confidant. And then they began to go from there. So it was it was almost as if they were involved in the writing of the film. They were doing the character work while we were mm-hmm. kind of developing the story. Um, All under your auspices. As the director, everything had to come through me, and then obviously you guys as co-writers, we were making sure together that they were developing the characters in a way that would work with the story. Right. And there were times we had to kind of go and say, well, it's a great idea, but not for this film. Hey, David, if you weren't a good director... Uh, this would have been a very different film and really a circus of a film because you'd have essentially you know, what four actors and you'd have basically four directors plus you, you know, and, and then and everybody would have e- everybody would have equal say. So it does take there's it's not an excuse for for lazy direction. Well, I think the the uh, and Steven Spielberg talked about this, but the most important thing for a director and I think for writers and directors is to know what kind of movie you're making and what what you want. Mm-hmm. Or at least to know what you don't want, so that when actors present ideas to you, I think you have to be able to. You can't just be like, "Oh yeah, sure, yeah, any any idea is fair game." Because we knew who the character of Karen had to be, at least what her arc had to be. Mm-hmm. Um, we thought it was one thing, though, but it changed. It did, I mean, but which her is, which is interesting. Well, she did change as we as we wrote the story, but her character and who she was stayed the same. Absolutely, Emily totally fleshed out who that character mm. was. The character of Roy, we knew where he needed to be, especially at the beginning, the first act of the film, but Jack totally fleshed out 
Absolutely. that character. So I think there's a, it's a unique, there's a unique, I think, as a director and as a filmmaker, you have to be, at least I'm of the school, that you have to be open to other people's ideas, but you also have to know what you want. And you have to and be willing that, to let well, the best idea. That's how you can be open to new ideas, is because if you know what you want, you know that those new ideas do add to that or whether they detract from right, the true. core of the story. Yeah. So we had a lot of ideas, but we had to throw out a bunch, too. Exactly. Which, yeah. And it for formed sure. a really fun trust relationship with the actors that got stronger and stronger as the film kind went. Kind of a trust exercise, in it, fact. It, yeah. It was. It's sort yes. of like a camp exercise. Yeah, of, yeah free falls or whatever those trust are called. Falls. Trust falls. <laughs> yes, there was a lot of that. Because... Uh, you know, they didn't know where the story was going to go at all. They just knew where they came from and who they were as a character. And so we would put them in scenes that that blew their mind a little bit and terrified them and or were uh, very uncomfortable. Well, they didn't, I mean, because they didn't even know we were making a science fiction. They knew it was a, a drama. was all they knew was that it wasn't a comedy. They had no idea how many they, alien babies <laughs> would be in this thing. I mean... But, no one knew. I, I knew. I didn't know. Well, you no, didn't know. I mean, because when we got on but, set, there were way more than... But I knew. <laughs> but I didn't know. I mean, I didn't know how, you know, how we were going to have the whole... Uh, uh, too many secrets being exposed here, everyone. We're going to go to a commercial break. Like, it's such an amazing sort of... Thanks for being a podcast listener. Be sure to tune in next week. We're talking about what it was like to direct a film with what is rumored to be no script. Uh, we'll debunk those rumors and more. It's to the moon and back. Stay with us. 